The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. It's Wednesday, August the 28th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. I am joined in studio by the leader of the Green Party, Eamon Ryan, and the People Before Profit TD, Richard Boyd Barrett. You're both very welcome. We wanted to look at something which has been the subject of some debate at the moment in light of, on the one hand, the rise of the vote for Green Parties in Ireland and in some other Western European countries, but also the emergence of new activist movements such as climate extinction, and also, again, the reconfiguration of traditional party politics, which seems to be going on, including the rise of a new populist right, which often denies the scientific evidence of the imminent threats posed by climate change. So where do Green Party politics fit now on the political spectrum? Is it the case, as some on the left charge, that uh, any meaningful action on climate change is impossible under our current market-led economic system? Um, They're big questions, Richard. Maybe I'll go to you first, because I've, I've talked to a number of people, including authors over the last while, who are essentially making the argument that our current economic model, capitalism in short terms, uh, under that it's going to be impossible to take the measures which are required to face down the threat posed by climate change. Yeah, that's very much the view of people before profit. Uh, In fact, we would say not only is capitalism incapable because it's driven primarily by profit, uh, that's the main objective of capitalism is relentless competition for profit, that it will be incapable of challenging the domination of the big multinational corporations that are responsible for 100 corporations, for example, who are responsible for an estimated 70% of global emissions. Uh, A system like that is not capable of challenging them. But I'd go further. In fact, I would say the uh, climate emergency we are now facing is actually as a result of the capitalist system. Uh, I mean, CO2 emissions were at very, very safe levels up until capitalism was born in the early 19th century. It is directly as a result of the way capitalism works, uh, that the particular form capitalism gave to the Industrial Revolution uh, and how that has continued on over a period of 200 years or so. Although state socialism made a contribution. Yes, except our particular tradition would argue that so-called state socialism wasn't socialism at all, that it was a form of state capitalism, that it was bureaucratic, centrally controlled, and it was locked into the global competition to control resources, to produce weapons, to compete with each other, which is the essential uh, logic of capitalism, is blind competition for control of resources uh, and profit. And I think that is a system completely incapable of addressing the environmental crisis. In fact, it will only worsen it. And you can see it at many levels. I mean, there's so many examples. You take like one big area, public transport. We need to increase public transport dramatically to get people out of their cars. Doing that to the level that would be necessary is completely incompatible with the market because the market says we only run a bus route if it's profitable, if it's viable. Uh, And in fact, we've seen an attack in recent years on uh, bus routes uh, where small public service routes are under attack in favour of high-frequency commuter ones that can make lots of money. But in fact, that's a disastrous decision. You know, if you take small 
public service routes out of, you know, areas where pensioners depend on them to get to the hospital and so on, uh, you're going to drive those people into cars. So that's just one example, but there are many, many more. Okay, and I think Eamon probably will agree with quite a lot of what you've said there and give him a chance to come in, but I just want to push back to you on one thing there. We're not talking about a binary choice here. You know, there's 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 all forms of capitalism, people who run small shops and small businesses of all sorts. They're not all global corporations. There are different kinds of mixed market economies. You mentioned public transport. Public transport and other public services exist within a mixed economy, which also accommodates businesses of various sorts as well. So it's not an either or, is it? Well, it, well not in terms of small business, but I don't really define capitalism in terms of small, you know, uh, or even medium-sized business. I mean... Socialism is about the commanding heights of the economy, the key resources, the key infrastructures being in public control. And that allows the people to actually decide what priorities they want and to deal with challenges like climate change. Uh, And in fact, under capitalism, you can see that the opposite is the case, right? That those commanding heights are totally dominated by about 1,500 multinationals who control 80% of all global revenues and 100 of those companies are responsible for 70% of global emissions. Now, unless we challenge that, and that means challenging the system, we are on a hiding to nothing. I mean, I shouldn't have been presuming what you agree with or don't agree with in terms of what Richard was saying. What, what, what do you think? No, I agree with most of what Richard said there. I, I think we are at a point of change. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the similar point back in the in the late 70s, the world moved from a kind of the conventional wisdom being that social democratic systems were the way to go um, to, for a variety of reasons, to faith in the market. Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, and, and it was the conventional wisdom. It was the, Was- the Washington consensus. That, that consensus was, was shot by 2008, 2009, the financial crisis, the kind of reliance on markets having that flaw in it, the markets having an innate capability of imploding or blowing up into bubbles, but also because of the inequity, the the increased income disparity, particularly in wealthy, developed Anglo-Saxon countries. Um, In the 10 years since, it hasn't been replaced by a new story, but, but it has been replaced increasingly by a populist nationalist, often far right, um, story. That's not the way forward in my mind. That's not going to, certainly not going to deliver the sort of collaboration we need to tackle issues like climate change and the loss of bio- biodiversity across the world. So we need a new story. We need a new way of doing things. We need a new system and a new political story that directs that. And I think it is a green story. I think it's one which is collaborative, which sees an increased role for the state, as Richard said, in certain key infrastructural issues, the design of public transport systems, the design of electricity grids. Um, the state is the right actor to, to, to take risks, to actually decide on the allocation of capital in that area. It, it will still involve enterprise. And increasingly, we'll need um, enterprise to, to kind of sort out what is the, the new technologies that we're going to avail of. But it will be a much more regulated enterprise sector. It won't be the market running things. It will be enterprise working within increasingly strong regulations that steer us towards a sustainable path. And the third tier that I think is important, I think one of the balancing um, changes that's going to come, I think it will be an economy and indeed a society that has a stronger local community element and involvement. It will require stronger local government. 
commitment. It will require uh, a whole range of new cooperative enterprises because as we implement the changes we need to implement to tackle climate change, in retrofitting our homes, in restoring nature at a local level, in in designing urban environments that are really healthy to live in and are affordable to live in. You can't do that down from a top-down state way always. It's sometimes you're better, the people of Cork saying, OK, this is how we're going to do it. And the people of Limerick and Dublin similarly kind of having much more authority and much more flexibility in how they do that. So I think... The new economy and the new so the new political mechanism or story that will evolve is is it it will have more of a mix. It will be more regulated in terms of regulated to steer us away from the cliff edge, the catastrophe that we are that capitalism has brought us down on or brought us towards. Um, and, and I think we want to hurry up. Is there a, there a strategic question, though, for the Green Party, particularly in this period of, of growth, which we anticipate is going to continue at the next uh, general election? And we see it faced most particularly by the German Green Party as a result of their success in recent elections, which is, is should the Green Movement situate itself as part of a broad, uh, newly invigorated... Um, left anti-capitalist front, as we see with things like the New Green Deal and the left wing of the of the Democratic Party in the United States, or should it be seeking to make more pragmatic alliances more immediately in order to get into government with the Christian Democrats in Germany or Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil here in order to achieve tangible pragmatic things in the immediate short term? I was speaking up in McGill uh, in the summer, uh, very interesting debate on, on this related topic, and one of the points I said there is. The debate was, you know, in, was can the centre hold? And I, my answer to that That's was... That's always the debate of McGill. It is. <laughs> but it's, it's a fair question. But my sense was that the entire centre has to move. That, you know, we, we're, we're talking about within two or three short decades to changing our entire industrial system, our entire energy system, our entire food system, our tra- transport system for the better. Now... We can do that in a variety of but people could espouse doing it in a variety of different ways. But one of the things, the positions that we would take politically is to try and pull everyone to move the entire political system to to recognise of the some of the structural and changes and the regulations we need to make radical change. And and one of the reasons why you do try and pull everyone is because to succeed, we will need to win five or six elections in a row. We will need a whole range of different governments. And it's not just the elections. We need to make so many people move, you know, we, and not doing it in the way that Fine Gael are currently doing it, where you're pointing the finger at the individual and saying, are you doing the right thing? Are you, have you changed your light bulbs? Are you, did I, did I see you driving something? Or did, you know, are you eating a hamburger? That will not work. The way we will make it work is if we have a broad political consensus around making it easy for people to do the right things, achieving the system change we need to make. And in my mind, the politics of kind of division and, and disparaging the other side and saying we won't talk to you, we'll only talk to you, we're, we're virtuous, you're not, I don't think that will work in the scale of the change we need to make. I would prefer to talk to all people and try to – because it's a, it's a crisis that affects all people – that affects us in a way that's beyond any previous crisis. It's affecting our very viability of our civilization, the future for our children on this planet. So that requires us to try to pull as many people together. And therefore, I answer your question by saying, I'm not going to not talk to some other party or kind of hold my nose and say, I refuse to even consider what you're thinking. I prefer to try and pull everyone in the direction that I think we need to go. The, the entire and the entirety of Irish politics moving. And there's actually some hope in that, in the sense that we've seen even in the last year in our Octus Committee, 
that actually as a parliament representing the variety of, whole variety of Irish people, there is an awakening understanding that this is something we want to do. And when I'm at the doors, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Sinn Féin door or People for Profit door, Fine Gael door, Fianna Fáil door, I listen to people saying to me, yes, do you know what? You're right. We do need to start addressing this. Why would I turn my back on any one of those people? So that's a key strategic difference, I would say, Richard, between uh, the Green Party position and, say, People Before Profit, for example. It's a, it's a different understanding of the task which the Green Party face as opposed to what you see as the objectives of People Before Profit. Is that fair? Well, let's start with the environmental crisis, right? We've got 11 years uh, to do this. This is an emergency, right? We're facing a tipping point. So the idea that we're going to have little incremental pulling along the political establishment to address an emergency where, as we speak, the lungs of the earth are burning in Brazil uh, by an extreme right-wing populist who the EU have just done a massive beef deal with. The social democratic pragmatic centre of the EU has just done a deal with a proto-fascist who is laughing while the lungs of the earth burn in the Amazon. This is what we're facing. Right Now, when you realise that's the seriousness of the situation we're facing, the idea that we're going to tug at the political establishment and pull them in our direction that are doing this, uh, and the Irish government are supporting deals with this guy, uh, and indeed the EU during the summer, the week after, a few weeks after Mercosur, did a deal with Trump on beef to bring more US beef across the Atlantic. I mean, why on earth would you do that, right? It's crazy, but it's linked to the market. Now, against that situation, I think we have to fight and organise a front to fight forces that are willing to sacrifice the future of the planet, not imagine that we can have a little conversation with them and hope that we're going to pull them. Because actually what happens is if you do that, they pull you. That's what indeed happened to the Green Party both in Germany and in Ireland. They went into government with Fianna Fáil in, this, in Ireland and who pulled who? Well, the reality was that the Greens were forced to sign up to a vicious austerity programme, but also to continue issuing fossil fuel licences to support a Troika programme that agreed to sell off the harvesting rights of the state forestry system. Right? That continued to allow US troops and rendition flights to go through Shannon Airport. That's what actually happened. And the consequence of that for the Greens was political disaster. They were virtually wiped out. And I would appeal to Eamon, and this is genuine, Eamon, I would appeal to Eamon, uh, the Green Party, and anybody on the left who's serious about environment, system change, and the other very serious challenges we're facing in this country, to say we have to imagine if we're going to, if we're going to make the radical change, transformation that is necessary, that it is possible to have an alternative government in this country to the centre-right parties that have dominated the state for 70 years and who have no interest, no interest in addressing this Amen. And that's why I always like talking to Richard and Paul Murphy and your colleagues, because I agree with you. I think you talk to everyone and look at the options. And we often agree. We agree on this recent issue. Yeah, we take on the corporations. We, Sorry, there's an end to oil and gas exploration coming in this country. Full stop, end of story, without any doubt. And there's a whole range of other radical measures we need to take. And we tend often to vote with, you know, we, we, we have a similar position to that Marcus or trade deal. We fought it in Brussels. We argued against it here. We, we would con continue doing that. It was interesting. I, um, I had a debate with Paul Murphy out in Tala on this very subject, uh, which was great, very healthy. And it was kind of it was interesting thinking around, you know, kind of getting the real nitty gritty of what, what exactly is the type of change you want. And it was interesting, one of the things 
I got a sense in listening to Paul and, and thinking of our own position. We agreed on this in terms of it has to be a democratically planned system change is, is what we need to do. And I suppose then you're down to the definition of what's the democratic plan you know, system that you're... I believe in the Irish constitution and in the Republic and in the Dáil Éireann and, and the local authorities and our constitutional systems is the way we organise a democratically planned change. And and that is, that's your job then is is to engage with other parties and other representatives who are elected under that constitutional Republican system we have to say, let's how we, that's not fiddling at the edges or, or, or abandoning anything. That's engaging in constitutional democratic policies. So you would obviously I, stand over the record in. of the Greens' participation oh, would, in oh, government listen, with yeah, Richard is Listen, tough time in government. Who'd want to be there in that time? It was really difficult. But one of the lessons I learned from it is you can do stuff in government as well as in opposition. Like, it, and it was tough, but in the ministries we had, we had actually the levers to be able to start doing things. And at the end of that period in government, four years in, our emissions were on track to meeting our 2020 targets. We were 11% below 2005 levels by 2011 after our time in government. Yeah, the financial crisis helped a bit with that, didn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Half of it, the EPA's analysis at the time was half of it was to due to economic crash. But they said the other half was to do that there was political commitment. And we brought that. We brought that because we've had it for 40 years and we still have it. And I believe what this country does well when we move, the way you move is, is actually you bring people together. You bring the agencies of the state together. You get the ESB in, get Board Nimona, you get the Department of Finance on board. You know, it has to be everyone in that way. You can't we will not achieve this change if we do it in a fractured way. We will work really well as a country because we're a small country. We can actually get people together. We can work collectively. And we're primed to be good at this because being green will actually suit our country. We have our own renewable power source we can rely on. We need to completely change Irish agriculture anyway because it's bust, it's broken, it's not working. Our current transport system sucks. Anyone stuck in traffic today as the schools come back and the gridlock extends realise that it is going to have to change anyway. And the industrial change we need, one of the things I agree with, Richard, we often sit down the same budget advisory committee together. We need to switch this country, a big strategic vision, from a way of reliance on foreign direct investment as our key driver of economics to developing our own indigenous economy, our local business, our skills. And the world is going to be looking for businesses that are good at going green. And we have the capability, we have the talented people, we have a good democratic, stable political system that will allow us to develop that local economy. That's one of the changes that's going to come. And, and we do have to engage the business community as well. Like the budget for the government budget is about 8 billion. The private capital budget in this country is 100 billion. Now in the change we need to make, I want to take that 100 billion and switch it completely green. The entire centre moving in that way as well as the government's $8 billion. You do that through political leadership, by setting the regulations, by putting a price on pollution, by setting higher standards, by going with, with some of the tools that the European Union are providing us. That's what we need to do. Well, you see, that, that last sentence is... I mean, I agree with a lot of the things that Eamon is saying in the terms of, you know, with the vision, you know, community-led, you know, less reliance on foreign direct investment. You know, the left have been saying this yeah. for years. That's not right? quite the commanding heights of the economy, though, is it? That's a very different, you well, know, gra that's, grassroots that's, that's kind of activity. Well, no, no, because the two things are linked. In order to challenge the multinationals, you need grassroots uh, activity. I'll give you an example. I'm just looking at the Irish Times. I hadn't seen this, right? Uh, in front of me, Irish forestry funds. Investors are planning legal action over the funds directors over sale of 10,000 uh, 
acres of land for less than expected, right? Now, if we are going to address uh, the climate crisis, we need forestry taken out of the hands of people who are selling it on a for-profit basis, okay? Uh, You have to challenge the market. The idea that prices and linking prices to uh, the environment is going to help uh, is the opposite of the truth. It's the absolute opposite of the truth. Carbon trading, for example, is one of the EU's uh, great ideas. Disaster. It's a, it's a license to buy your way out of doing something about the environment, as we're discovering with the Irish government. And you see, this is the logic you get drawn into unless you challenge capitalism. And Eamon found himself drawn into this logic in government, where he signed, along with Fianna Fáil, a Troika agreement to sell off the state forestry to private people who are then going to flog it. And what we did in response to that is organise mass protests along with the Woodland League, other parties on the left, the trade unions. We mobilised down in uh, the uh, Parnell uh, Forest Park in Ratrum. Tens of thousands of people protests across the country and we forced the government to back off. It was by then a Fine Gael Labour government to back off on that plan to sell uh, the national forestry, right? I mean, because if... We are going to have the afforestation levels that we need, which are pathetic in this country, right? The lowest in Europe, in a country where we have the best conditions in Europe, bar none, for growing trees, but we only have 10% forest cover. Uh, We're missing our targets every single year in afforestation, right? The market will not do that. It's not interested in it. It's interested in flogging forestry. Yeah, but the way we will achieve that is, and this goes back to the case about involving people and winning people over... One of the biggest problems in the environmental movement is this divide between urban and rural Ireland. Or, you know, farming community thinking that the environmental movement is the enemy. That's no longer the case. We are friends. One of the starts, ways we're going to start working together is say to every single one of those 120,000 Irish farms is we want you to do a hectare of real natural forest on the place in the land where you think it's going to be appropriate going to work. We can measure it by satellite. We can pay you properly as part of a new European Union-led common agricultural policy that's paying people for being stewards of land. Now, for that to work, you've got to bring rural land with you. You've got to bring the farming community with you. You've got to get them involved. I'm struck looking at the two of you that you do both represent parties who are in the Dáil at least exclusively represented by uh, urban TD, you represent urban constituencies. And so that's why that's a major question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah in the local elections, we've just recently got a whole lot of people elected in rural Ireland and we, and we want to extend that. But going back to the nature of the politics, if, you know, Michael Fitzmaurice and myself wouldn't see eye to eye many things, you know, we're fighting all the time, but I prefer to sit down with them and say, OK, Mike, let's work out a joint solution here, which is going to be good for your constituents in Roscommon, which I'm also interested in, and which is good for the environment. And we are going to have to see a radical increase in forestation in this country, and we're going to have to get it right environmentally and socially. And socialists go back to what I said about involving local communities, like this is a big issue up in Sligo Leitrim, in terms of they don't want this mass of forestation where the community is divided and separated and, 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 and kind By of... By these endless, endless like, conifer, conifer forests. Conifer forests. Yeah, so, what type, so what type of forest are we going to do there? I think we need a national land use plan. That's the kind of what you call those heights of the commanding heights, kind of a bigger plan. But actually in the implementation of it, in the delivery of it at a local level, you've got to go local and think, ask the people in Leitrim and Roscommon how do you think this is work? How's going to, this going to work socially? How's this going to work in terms of creating jobs and create a vibrant community? And until we do that, or unless we get that right, all the amount of we've only 10 years to go ordering people, shut up, take 
X thousand acres of forestry is not going to work. It has to be collaborative. It has to be bottom-up politics, which involves people, in my mind, through our local constitutional, democratic institutional structures and right down to the community level. Let me try and just phrase... Um, the argument which I think Eamon is making in a different way Richard if I might you yes. both with all due respect to you both and the Greens had a good election the last time PPP not so much you represent very small parties in the overall political landscape even with the decline of the two big uh, parties Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil they still represent around 60% of the popular vote and you add to that the fact that there's a large amount of independent votes uh, many of which are uh, certainly not not in the same part of the political spectrum as either of you guys Is does Eamon not have a point there that that you need to talk to some of those people in order to get a workable coalition that if you accept the 10 to 15 year window has to be able to get some bloody things done in the in the immediate future. I absolutely agree with that. But the question is, who, you know, in talking to others, who do you need to talk to? Now, I'll give you an example of the sort of talking I think we need to do. Um, when the beef plan movement came outside the door, I went out to talk to them. I didn't know much about the issue, uh, but I knew they were right about the Mercosur deal. And so we, uh, members of ours who were involved in Extinction Rebellion, encouraged Extinction Rebellion to go on that protest, to link the environmental movement, which they did, and the farmers were amazed and delighted to see people with banners saying system change, not climate change, uh, and uh, where these two groups have often seen themselves at odds with one another. Uh, And indeed, I then met with members of the Beef Plan movement, and they explained their situation And they pointed out, how can we be expected to meet certain environmental standards if the EU then does a deal with Bolsonaro, who who totally disregards those environmental standards and is laughing while he's burning down uh, the rainforest? They've got a good point. And they also pointed out that they are being absolutely squeezed by the big capitalists in the agribusiness, who, by the way, avoid tax by doing little tax arrangements in Luxembourg. So they make all the profits from the beef industry while the poor beef farmer is getting nothing for his beef and is getting an average income of about ten or €12,000 a year. And the whole system isn't economically sustainable into the future yeah. anyway in terms now, of the I, but, revenue generated. And the point I'm going to make is we have to take sides in this. I support the beef plan people who are out protesting saying this is not acceptable. Right? We will be on demonstrations with them. We need to support them. That is how you will make a connection with people at the moment who mightn't see themselves engaged with the socialists or the climate uh, movement and build real practical alliances that will ensure a just transition uh, for farmers, for working people, uh, as well as actually having the social forces that can push the establishment to make the radical change is necessary. Funny, to one do of the things that occurs to me, I mean, listening to what Richard has to say there, is, is is it possible that that you're both right? That if you're actually interested in this issue and you think it's central to politics, that's what's required is a is a range of political approaches, including some of the cooperation you're talking about across the political spectrum, but also you know ground level activism and perhaps you know ginger groups who, who are who are taking a you know a more extreme is not the word, but certainly you know a more activist, a more in your face kind of approach. Yeah, that no, it's all I, part of the. I agree with all, all part that. Of I agree with life's that. Rich panel. I agree with all that. I agree with everything just Richard said and what you've just said there. But and more. We need to do a hell of a lot more. We need to change the budget. We need to change the rules. And and sometimes in our, under our constitutional democratic republican system, how do you do that? You do it through parliament. And how do you do that? You do it through government. And so we're going back into the door next week. First item up next week for us, we, have, we happen to have private members time. We're introducing a just transition bill 
which will set up a mechanism, a mediation system, where when you do get to contentious issues like what's going on in the beef suckler cow uh, industry at the moment, or what's happened with Bordenamona, or what's happening in in, in uh, Money Point, and you could keep going, that we actually manage this transition as a just transition, that we do what I said earlier on, we bring the agencies of the state together, and indeed business, and indeed unions, and communities, to try and make this collectively. But you do need... Some you do need government. You are not that you need government. It has to be both bottom up and top down. But you need leadership at the centre in government. Our current government doesn't present that. Their goal of government climate action plan is saying we will reduce emissions two percent per annum for the next ten years, when it needs to be three or four or five times that. You know, if we're really serious about the issue, and they're doing nothing on transport. God help us, Minister Transport at the moment doesn't even know how to charge his electric car, let alone how to run the transport system. He's given out about you driving a diesel car. I know he was, and that's part of what Fine Gael are doing. This finger wagging kind of oh look at me, I'm I'm so good, I've bought an electric vehicle, doesn't even know how to charge it, and and pointing figure at everyone else, that's not the way environmental movement is going to get the change that we need to make. You do need people in government who are willing to make tough decisions. Like, it's going to be a tough decision to say we're going to stop some of the road programmes. We're not going to build some of the motorways that Fine Gael and, and, and uh, uh, the Minister Shane Ross wants to build. And instead, we're going to invest in public transport. And part of the benefit from that is a social benefit as well as an environmental one. And the way you do that is is you go into government and you sit down and negotiate with whatever the pe- whoever else the people return to say these are the practical changes we want to make at the centre, not just from the bottom. Can up. Can I ask well. you something which which I probably should have started right at the top of this podcast, which is is the Green Party a left wing party? Yeah, I think it's left. Has it always been a left wing party? Like have invar- has have has the the activist movement which became the Green Party has it always been on the left? Its roots were from the sixties, from environmental Rachel Carson, the whole lot, destruction of our environment, which we could see back as far then. But it also came from anti militarist. It was uh, C and D, and it also came from the kind of that feminist gay rights. It, it was that whole sixties liberation. Do you think it has from. moved, or perhaps should move? further to the left. The reason I ask is because the, 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 the sort of political developments which you, you described earlier on going back to the 1970s led to a situation in the in the 90s for example and the early parts of this of this century where the ideas of influencing human behaviour through nudging elements of the way that the market system worked and providing incentives became more popular than perhaps the kind of more direct action well, that both of you were talking about. Person, and I said this to Paul Murphy who was talking to us well where am I because I'm also a businessman like I was an entrepreneur before I got into politics and for me that business was an expression of myself it was it was a kind of a it was my values being expressed in what I was doing in business and I think there's a lot of people in business like that and I think actually we don't need to turn our back on that community I think we need business world to change I agree with Richard it can no longer be all about profit it has to be about serving communities and it has to be about serving the real big challenge we have which is the switch away from the the climate crisis that we're we're facing. Business people have a role in that. And to say and to rule that out or to rule those people out would make it well, firstly, I don't see why. And secondly, I don't think it'll help us make the transition we need to make. I, I mean, I, I take your point about the large corporations controlling a huge amount of and being responsible for a huge amount of emissions. But I'm just trying to get a handle on what you talk about when you talk about, you know, replacing capitalism. I mean, okay, you accept that farmers and small businesses still have a role to play within the so your socialist future. But what about medium-sized or large businesses on a national level? What about the Irish Times? 
Yeah, well, the media is an interesting question, and I'm not entirely sure what I think about how to do that. Uh, certainly, you do not want state centralised bureaucratic control of the media. I think uh, broadly, what uh, the, the genuine socialist vision is is about democratic, popular control of the resources and the key infrastructure. So, okay, what about Supermax? What about Avoca Handweavers? What about other, you know, medium-sized successful businesses in the country? Yeah, I don't think they really fit into uh, that, you know, the commanding heights of the economy, okay. uh, to be honest. So we're uh, talking about the banks, public transport. Bank, public transport, key infrastructure, energy, uh, transport. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly not selling off some of the key resources we have and, and utilising them in the interests of the public and where the public have a real say. I mean, to return briefly to forestry, for example, we have... Quilcha has half a million hectares of land that it doesn't use at all, right? Because under the current commercially focused sort of for-profit orientation of Quilcha, uh, they don't consider it commercially viable. It's not viable for the short-term profit type of forestry model they have. But it's just sitting there. Now, what should we do with that land? And that's all over the country. We should give that to local communities, to the small farmers and so on, to have sustainable, broadleaf, long-term forestry, right? But so you, in order for that to happen, uh, you've got to have real democratic control of the, of the resources. Uh, and I think that's true in all the key areas. How much success has BBP had in making that argument to the farmers who would be affected by it? The, the farmers, we've developed a very good relationship with the beef plan movement recently, and that's a new development. And you're absolutely right to say both the, the, the socialist left and indeed the Greens have not been up to date successful in relating to farmers. And I think we've got to up our game. But that's precisely why I'm supporting the beef plan people and I met them. And if I get a chance in the next few days, I'll go down and support their uh, protests because we need to relate to them. And, uh, you know, that's definitely an improvement we need to make. But you see, I think the alliance of, if you like, small business, small farmers with the working class movement, with the socialist movement, uh, will find itself and indeed is finding itself in direct confrontation with the big multinational corporations that currently control the commanding heights of both the domestic and global economy. And there's no way around, and I think Eamon is fudging around on this issue, is you've got to take those resources and infrastructures off them. We are not going... I mean, even look at the bill, and the Greens supported us on this, right? People for Profits bill to keep fossil fuels uh, in the ground supported by the majority of the Dáil, and indeed Eamon and so on have actively uh, campaigned and protested with us, with the climate students, uh, the Extinction Rebellion, around this bill. But what, why is that bill being blocked? Because the oil industry lobbied the Fine Gael government and said, stop that bill, right? And so the power of the fossil fuel industry is scuppering democracy. Now, what do we do about that? Are we just going to allow that to happen? Or are we going to build a popular mass radical movement that will say, sorry, lads, we're taking those infrastructures off you. We're not allowing energy production to be dominated by people who are only interested in profit. Eamon. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think uh, that change is coming. As I said, the next government will not will sign off on on the end of oil and gas exploration in, in Irish waters. I, I think that's a given. Um, 
just be slightly bigger, more radical, if I can. There was an article in the Irish Times there last week, two weeks ago, Mark Paul on the whole degrowth thing. This is really interesting in terms of where are we going with this? Mm. What's the scale of change? Like, let's be really radical in thinking around this. And part of the radical change we need is to measure progress, what we measure as success. Now, Mark was arguing, concerned that degrowth would be necessarily people unhappier, healthier, poorer, whatever. One of the principles, I think, in this transition is if we're going to make it, we have to have a better, you know, if we're going to stop people going from A to unsustainable B, you've got to have a better alternative C. You know, we're not going to sell, this is not going to work if it's penury and... Lower your expectations expectations forever. Yeah. It will, it will, though, require a change in how we measure progress, I think, and measure happiness and measure health and well-being. Well, health is relatively easy, but um, the economic growth, he was saying, you know, we'll, we'll still have to use gross domestic product, you know, kind of increase consumption, increase use of resources, which is what GDP tends to measure. And I think no, and we've thought for 40 years, no, we need a radical rethink of what's measured. And just take an example, cycle down here today. Um, doesn't count on GDP. Had I made the decision to drive burning fuels as you go, then that would count. So you'd actually, the GDP would grow. Or take, for example, I grow some beans in my back garden, make that into a meal, versus I buy a steak in the shop. Buying the steak in the shop increases GDP. And they're just two simple examples. You could keep going on. We do need such a radical change in the economy. It's not just that, you know, profit is not the only measure and business has started to have a wider kind of measure of success. But also we do need to start measuring success in different ways and not just material consumption. And part of that, I think, is engaging in or valuing caring work within society. That kind of some of the non-economic sectors which are currently forgotten about in the GDP model. And I would argue on both left and right in the political world, in terms, it's all about the economy. It's all about the paid economy. It's all about the working economy. The non-working economy doesn't count. If you're at home, it doesn't. You don't matter. You don't count. And actually, I'm sure Richard's going to disagree with you that, but I'll give him the opportunity to do yeah, that in a sec. But but it's um, well, some. I'm not. I'm not accusing Richard of, of anything here. But but I do. I just mentioned it because I think it was a debate that was started in that article. It hasn't. It's kind of tapered out a bit since. But it's going to come back because. That's the scale of change that we need. It isn't just about who owns. And yes, I agree, we need to own, you know, greater public ownership of assets. But it is different in that way of how we're measuring success. Now let me ask you something then, uh, which is kind of core to this and is problematic or certainly has been problematized by the way some people discuss it. But the, the government's growth plan for the next 20 years or whatever it was envisages a substantial growth in the population of the country mm. with the attendant pressures on infrastructure, housing, transport, where are people going to live, uh, all that kind of stuff because of increased – and that, that involves an influx of people. We were looking at um, uh, census data or statistical data rather uh, this morning showing that the population continues to rise quite quickly and that's uh, partly fueled by natural uh, birth rate growth, partly it's fueled by people coming into the country. Those people are coming in because there are jobs available for them. They're not refugees. They're coming here to work. It's great. You know, I like seeing them there. But is that is that a natural continuation curve as, as envisioned by the government over the next over the next 20 years, particularly if you're bringing them in and you have nowhere to put them? I think we have to have a place to put people, our own people as well. I tend to get a lot of abuse online, all that hate speech from the far right type people, because I have said in the past on the doll, 
that we have to start thinking about this. Our country will be bigger and north and south as an island, we're going to and probably in a world which is going to become more unstable because of the climate reality striking home. Migration is going to be a really difficult challenge, something we have to address. I think we can do that in a way that maintains the quality of life, as I said earlier on here, and indeed the culture, which has been one that's relatively open and accommodating to people coming in. But given and the I GDP growth and its, you know, its flawed measurement, as, as you put it, is, uh, and, and population growth are directly linked. They clearly have been, and we've seen that with the ebbs and flows of the economy over the last 20 years or so. So can we expect to see those two go together? Those seem to be the factors that are driving the economy and that are currently, that the current government sees, envisages continuing on the same track. Which presents an even bigger challenge for us to actually reduce the consumption. But one last point on this. We also still need to maintain our global perspective and actually as a country position ourselves politically in addressing the underlying reasons why people are leaving those countries and investing in global order where Africa rises and their prosperity increases so that they stay at home in the long run and also address climate so we under we don't see that climate crisis reaching such a point that massive migration takes place. The Greens have always from the start had a various kind of... Uh, I suppose, maxims, one of the key ones is that you think global, you act local. We still need to think global and need to be part of this global solutions rather than the retreat to populist nationalism. We need to maintain a global perspective around actually allowing every country rise. To implement the UN Sustainable Development Goals is our manifesto for the future. What's people before profit's position on GDP and measuring what growth is? I mean, yeah, the we, numbers show that we have more people working in Ireland than ever previously. We, we, now, obviously, we, there are no, all we, kinds we, of underlying... GDP doesn't mean anything in this country, by the way, it's as a measure. because Or GNI star, because, yeah. you know, our, our, our figures are just nonsense because of F, uh, foreign direct investment and tax evasion. Uh, but actually, yeah, we agree. And in fact, this is a point Marx and Engels made in the Communist Manifesto, just so we know. this, It wasn't the Greens who came up with this uh, idea. Marx and Engels pointed out that the Moses and prophets, uh, uh, as he described it, uh, of capitalism were was relentless accumulation for its own stake, uh, sake and that that would have a disastrous both so- social and environmental uh, consequence. And they were very... They pointed out that that's actually how the great civilizations of the past had collapsed uh, because they sought growth for its own sake and didn't sustain the environment and the infrastructure necessary to make society function. But they critically pointed out, and this is where uh, there's a debate, let's put it this way, with the Greens. I'm not saying we, we differ, but there's a debate about what has to be done here is that that fact is linked to a shocking and growing inequality in the distribution of wealth, right? Absolutely shocking. I mean, in this country, 58% of all the wealth in this country is controlled by the richest 10%. At a global level, a couple of hundred multi-billionaires own more wealth than 90% of the world's population. Now, unless we redistribute that wealth... One, we will not have the resources for the radical action necessary for the just transition, for the subsidies to public transport, for the massive retrofit programmes we need, for the investment in uh, our universities to develop renewable energies, all of that stuff, right? It's just not going to happen unless we grab those resources. Although there is a counter-argument that many, many millions of people have been raised out of abject poverty in the the developing world um, and who are in much better conditions now than they were 30 years ago as a result of globalisation. Probably a discussion 
discussion for another podcast. But. No, but that, that links to the other point. I mean, first, we have to reject the populist nationalism stuff. Is Ireland overpopulated? Not at all, right? That's nonsense. I mean, I just came back from Sicily, a country a third the size, and there's six and a half million people. Uh, the, prob- the problem in Sicily is 50% of them are, are unemployed. Uh, and, you know, you think about in Ireland, it's the failure of the state... Uh, and if you like public authorities to build affordable and public housing because the housing sector is completely dominated by the profit logic that says, ah, you know, we're not going to build housing for people unless we can make money out of it, right? And unless you challenge that logic or even, you know, you take uh, the retrofit programme that we need. The, the, the private developers do not want passive house standards uh, which would make uh, uh, housing, if you like, CO2 neutral because it would it would increase the costs for them and reduce the profitability. They're not interested in that. So you, you need radical system change on a not-for-profit basis. And that's one of the reasons when we went into government, one of the first things we did was raised every single building standard up to that. And with one stroke of a pen, we were able to do what we'd been talking about for 20 years. One last thought, uh, one less less idealistic thought, Eamon. And uh, going by the council elections, the Greens are nailed on to pick up doll seats in certain constituencies. And one of those, it seems to me, would definitely be Richard's constituency of Deliri. Are you coming for his seat? You ain't ever nailed on to anything in Irish politics. Part of democratic democratic constitutional system is you have to deserve it. You have to go out and, and earn the vote. What's your analysis of the situation in Deliri? Where's the fight for the last I don't know. seats? No, no, no idea no. at all? I, I, I think we've a brilliant candidate there in Ocean Smith, but I, I wouldn't... Uh, I think we've a chance. I think we've a chance there in a lot of places, but we've got to go out there and work and earn it and deserve it. What's your reading? The Greens definitely have a good chance of taking the seat. Uh, the big question for, if you like, the, the radical agenda on climate change and indeed social transformation that we need in this country is, does the Green seat uh, just swap around with a left seat, my seat, or do... Uh, people who are interested in the environment and challenging the system take out one of the centre-right parties. That's that's the many, political how, question. How many seats do Fine Gael have at the moment in Dundee? They have three. Fine Gael won't have three seats in the next ele- after the next election. Yeah, that's that, one. Yeah. That's, put some money on that. OK, but I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I'm not going to bet against that. Listen, thanks very much indeed to Eamon and Richard for coming in today. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Ryan, and our engineer, JJ Vernon. Remember that you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Acast, or whatever your preferred podcast provider is. And you can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcast. You can mail me at hlinehan at irishtimes.com, or you can always find me on Twitter. Until the next time, thanks for listening.